right? And so um, last week uh, at Byron, we looked at Ehud, the second judge, and the week before that, we looked at Othniel. And so tonight, we're up to the third. Awesome. Anyway, so I love this um, this story because girls rule the show. And actually, it's something that's unique to the book of Judges is girls feature highly in the book of Judges. And it makes it stand out as a book in the Bible. It's very interesting. But this particular story is bookended by two women. And I really like it. So just a little bit of context before we jump into our key passage of Scripture. Um, what's going to happen, you'll see repeatedly in the book of Judges, is that um, Israel will rebel from God and they'll end up being oppressed by their enemies. And so they'll cry out to God and um, God will raise up a judge or a saviour figure to deliver them into salvation. And then what will happen is they'll live in that peace for a generation and then the saviour figure will die and they'll fall right back into oppression and it'll be echoed over and over again in the entire book. Every judge we're going to look at, every saviour figure will foreshadow Jesus Christ in some way. So it's going to get exciting and it gets better and better as we go on because every judge gets more and more flawed. So it gets really interesting by the time you get to Samson. Okay, so... Where are we? Deborah's just like perfect though. She being the woman that she is. So anyway, uh, here we have Ehud that we talked about last week. He died uh, and, and Israel has fallen back into oppression um, from a different enemy, the Canaanites. Last week it was the Moabites. Tonight it's the Canaanites. And um, that's a bitter enemy to serve for them particularly. And so the Bible goes to the trouble of letting us know that she's not just a judge, she's also a prophetess. And this is extremely significant um, for our story. So if you were a prophet in that day, you were the mouthpiece for God for your generation. And so she is publicly acknowledged as the spokesperson for God in her day. And this is particularly significant because she will be the only judge in the entire book to be also called a prophet. Go girls. Come on. Well, I'm excited about that anyway. Maybe it's all the coffee I've drunk today, but I am excited about that. So she is the mouthpiece for God. And what she does is she initiates the campaign for salvation in her day because these people are oppressed, stripped off their weapons, grave injustice in their day. And she initiates the campaign because one day God speaks to her with a divine military strategy. Was anyone there on Mother's Day at Byron? Anybody? Anyone remember us talking about the military strategy? I'm not sure if people listen to me or not. <laughs> it's okay. I have toddlers. I'm so used to not being listened to. But anyway, we'll go over it again just, you know, for the rest of us. There was a crazy military strategy um, that we spoke about. And the crazy plan that God gives Deborah is to confront the enemy on the plains, which were at the bottom of a valley. And um, the plains were where the enemy had the greatest tactical advantage um, because they had the weapons of mass destruction. They had the chariots and the chariots worked best in the plains. And so God's saying, yeah, go and take your um, weaponless army into the plains and confront the enemy there. So, yeah, it's a senseless strategy. It always is with God. But um, <laughs> what am I talking about? Um, so <laughs> for the Israelites, it, it is quite literally 
a valley of the shadow of death of sorts for them to be going into this place. But, um, and so when Deborah repeats this strategy to Barak, the army general of the, of the Israelites, um, he says something interesting in response in chapter 4, verse 8. He says, um, if I can see the scripture with the light shining off it, it says, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. And so Deborah says, certainly I will go with you, but because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours. Listen up. For the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. Sisera is like the Hitler of the Canaanite army. He's the one in charge, okay? So the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. And so the Israelites march into the valley. And wouldn't you know it, God um, sends a flood to bog the weapons of mass destruction. The chariots can't work in boggy ground. And so God sends a flood. Judges 5 talks about that he sends the stars to fight in their place and fight for Israel. And so it says in verse 16, Sisera's entire fighting force was defeated. The entire enemy army was defeated in the valley. The entire force of evil and injustice and oppression, their power was defeated in this moment. And so the victory is won, but it's not yet completed. There is one thing still left to do because the soldiers were defeated, but their leader was alive. This dragon-like man, Sisera. And so Sisera, uh, the scripture says, he runs straight into the tent of a woman named Jael. This is the the angle I'm taking tonight, we're going to look at JL more so than Deborah, just so we have a different person to talk about. So that is the different angle I'm taking, introducing JL. So when Deborah prophesied the victory will be delivered through the hands of a woman, she wasn't prophesying about herself. And, you know, we initially suspect that when she first says that, but she's not talking about herself. She's talking about someone else. This woman named JL, she doesn't use her name, but um, JL is a most unlikely source of victory, even more unlikely than Deborah being a woman. Why? Because JL is not even an Israelite. She's a Kenite. She's not from the tribe of Israel. So this story is getting more scandalous and ridiculous as we go on. That God would, it might not sound like a big deal to us, but it is. In this context, in this culture, that God would really use someone outside of Israel to deliver victory to Israel is quite radical. It's really radical, actually. Are you with me tonight? Yeah, that was a really long introduction, but I can't tell you JL's story if you don't know Deborah's story. Okay, so it was necessary. (laughs) <laughs> but it makes me wonder, though, that we'll, whether we will apprehend the gravity and urgency of our time and lay aside doctrinal differences and opinions that we would simply just join the fight for other people's salvation. Do you see that in the story? Different, different tribe, not affiliated, but just joining the fight for the salvation of people. It's good, isn't it? I'll just throw that one in for free. I wasn't even... Anyway... <laughs> So JL is an, in- <laughs> just a little side note, anyway, <laughs> JL is an interesting character. She, like I said, she's a Kenite and this was a particularly bad thing for Israel because the Kenites were allied with the Canaanites. So they were considered an enemy of God, okay? But JL herself, she's a housewife. She spends her days cooking and cleaning and washing, looking after the kids, going about her everyday life in, as, a, as a tent dweller. 
Okay, which is, there's nothing special about her being in a tent. All the Kenites were in a tent. They were nomadic gypsies. Okay, <laughs> we'll just call them that. All right, so they were all in tents. But Judges 5 declares Jael as a most blessed tent dweller. And we're going to find out why in this next key passage of Scripture. Are you ready for it now? We've got the story. We've got the background. We're ready. We're ready. This, this actually makes a very good bedtime story for your children. Um, <laughs> You'll see. Anyway, so verses chapter 4, <laughs> strap yourselves in. Um, chapter 4, verses 17 to 21. Yeah, about 21. Um, it says, Meanwhile, Sisera, that would be Hitler, running for his life, headed for the tent of Jael. This is after the battle has been won uh, by the Israelites um, in the valley, okay? He headed for the tent of Jael, wife of Heber the Kenite, and Jabin, he's the king of the Canaanites, um, and Heber the Kenite were on good terms with one another. In other words, they had made a treaty and they were allies, okay? Jael stepped out to meet Sisera. And said, come in, sir, stay with me, don't be afraid. So he went with her into her tent. She covered him with blankets. He said to her, please, a little water, I'm thirsty. She opened a bottle of milk. Interesting. Gave him a drink and then covered him up again. He then said, stand at the tent flap and if anyone comes by and asks you, is there anyone there, tell him, no, not a soul. Then while he was asleep from exhaustion, Jael, wife of Heber, took a tent peg and hammer, tiptoed towards him and drove the tent peg through his temple and all the way into the ground. He convulsed and died. <laughs> and <laughs> thank you very much for tonight and that'll be... <laughs> oh yeah, I'm going to be reading that to Eden as a bedtime story. <laughs> This is why it was risky to preach through the book of Judges, right? Because last week we were talking about Eglon and Ehud, weren't we? Where, <laughs> where Ehud thrusts the sword into Eglon's stomach and all the dung pours out. So that was fun. We had some fun last week and this week hopefully we will have some more fun. <laughs> it's like nervous laughter. Anyway, so <laughs> because of this final act that JL delivered, um, Israel secured the victory once and for all, mission completed, and they had peace for a generation. All right, peace for a generation. So we're going to unpack how uh, this victory was delivered by the hands of a seemingly ordinary housewife going about her usual day. Come on, until the battle that was happening outside, out there beyond her house, the battle that she couldn't see invaded her world. All right, so the first thing, Jael sees him coming because she stepped out to meet him. So evidently she sees Sisera, the enemy, coming. See, there is a battle taking place. All right, it's not her tribe. It's not her tribe. It's not her family. It's not her directly. But So she can't see the battle. She's slightly removed from it, but she's beginning to feel the effects of it. Okay, food was scarce. And, and it says the villages, even her villages, were not safe to go out in. So although she's not actually involved in the war, she's beginning to feel the effects of it. So I'm sure her ears and eyes are alert uh, to the conflict she is slightly removed from. It's like the wind. You can't see it, but you can't negate its power, right? And there is a cosmic battle.
we know that the victory is won at the cross. When Jesus Christ went into the valley of the shadow of death and defeated all the forces of evil and the forces of darkness, but we also know there is still stuff to be done, still a mission to carry out, right? Yes, Nikki. Preach, girl. Okay, so... It's always riskier if I preach at Billy because I feel like I get more delirious as the day goes on. So I'm a lot more sensible at Byron. And then by the time we get here, it's like, she's lost it. Anyway, so JL steps out to meet him. Who knows what's going to be said tonight, Jip? Cut it from the recording. Okay. (laughs) JL steps out to meet him. Now, you guys, this is a highly significant act. Um, She knows her husband and this evil Hitler guy, they are tight. Okay, they got a treaty. She knows what this man Sisera is capable of. Okay, she knows the innocent victims that have fallen at his merciless command. And why would she be any different if he detected an agenda on her? And the girl clearly had one. Like the girl had a plan. She stepped out, come in, sir. Like she, she had a plan, okay? But by, so by stepping out to meet him, she literally puts her life on the line. She effectively puts her life on the line for her neighborhood, her family, you know, because she's sensing the effects of these, this war. But curiously, she puts her life on the line for a nation and a people she was technically not even affiliated with, a people she is removed from and and doesn't really interact with. But truly, it's a life laid down for kingdom cause. Beautiful. And what is so significant about this, I love it, I love it. What's so significant about this moment, when she steps out to meet him, she effectively steps into her prophetic calling. And I'll show you why. Remember, Deborah had already prophesied over her. Without ever meeting her, without ever using her name, Deborah had already prophesied that the victory would be delivered by the hands of this woman. Do you remember that? And so she prophesied in that moment, Deborah had prophesied Jael's prophetic destiny without ever meeting her. And I'm sure it was much more impactful and grander than JL thought at the time as she sort of steps out of her tent. But by stepping out and confronting the enemy, JL was actually stepping into her prophetic destiny that was prophesied in advance. That was prepared in advance. Are you picking up what I'm putting down tonight? We have a calling prepared for us in advance. We have an assignment to do a unique specialized assignment in the kingdom of God that has been prophesied in advance. We just read it in 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 8, didn't we? We are saved and called for these works in advance by Christ Jesus. You know, salvation is something that is received, but I really believe calling is something that must be stepped into. Is that okay tonight? We all have a prophetic calling over our lives, but calling is not something that just falls into our laps. And it kind of looks like it with J.L., like it fell into her lap or at least sort of ran to her tent. But if she had not stepped out and confronted it and met it and invited it in, she may have missed it because it didn't really come in the package that one would desire, right? And, you know, it's very possible to be saved and not step into our calling. That could be a sobering thought tonight, but but I believe it's true. If it were impossible to miss your calling, Paul would not have said several times in his letters, fulfill your calling. 
He says it in um, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5. He says to his protege, Timothy, he says, carry in your heart the passion of your calling. Beautiful. And fulfill your ministry calling. But at the end of Colossians, at the end of the letter, he just gets personal. He literally starts calling out people's names. And he's like, you tell them I said to fulfill the ministry calling entrusted to them. If it were impossible to miss it, he wouldn't have to remind people to make sure they fulfill it, right? It's possible to miss it because it doesn't always come in the package that we desire. Sometimes it looks like laying our lives down. Just a little hint, it always looks like laying your life down, (laughs) dying to self every day. Um, It always looks like risking our lives. And, and, you know, sometimes it looks like doing things we don't want to do. Sometimes it looks like making ourselves uncomfortable. And sometimes it looks like confronting the injustice and oppression. Yet at the same time, I promise you this, well, I believe this with all my heart, you will be dissatisfied if you do not fulfill the calling of God in your life, if you, do, if you are not doing what God has called you to do. I didn't say, now disclaimer, put this on the record. I didn't say you'd never be challenged or frustrated or discouraged. That's all a part of walking out our calling on planet Earth, right? It's not all picture perfect, but you'll never be fulfilled outside of it. I truly believe that. And people who don't think they have a calling have perhaps not stepped out and invited it in. Because it's always going to involve laying our life down for kingdom cause and kingdom come. Do you believe that tonight? I totally believe that tonight. I promise you I would not be preaching this stuff. I didn't believe it with all my heart. And there's going to be an element where you have to, like JL, you've got to step out of your everyday life And let the ordinary days become extraordinary and the miraculous come into the mundane and step out of your familiarity and into the unknown. Now that sounds a lot more romantic in theory than in practice, I think. But JL had a divine strategy when she stepped out. She had a strategy, she had a plan. She knew what she was going to do, otherwise she wouldn't have invited the guy in. But I think it still took, and I'm sure you'll agree with me, a heck of a lot of guts to execute that strategy, right? (laughs) Go, girl. All right. And she didn't know if Cicero was going to fall for that strategy or not. She didn't know. Or maybe she did. No, she didn't know. I don't know. It starts with simply saying yes to God's call. You got to say yes to heaven's assignment on your life. And you know what? Seasons change and circumstances change. And so what you have to do is you've got to keep saying yes again and again and again. You've got to say yes to God in this season and then you've got to say yes to God in that season because your calling is assured and it is, it is planned and it is prepared in advance, but it, it translates differently in different seasons of life, right? My calling looks different now than it did before I had kids, but I'm still saying yes to God, Right? We've got to keep saying yes. And this is what I believe. I believe when we say yes and we step out then and not before, he releases the courage and the strengths and the giftings to carry out what we need to do. Is that okay? Not beforehand. I think he does it after. Is that okay? Praise the Lord. So that's not to say that we shouldn't be strategic when we do step out. You know, she had a plan and I really think... If we fight with our strengths, we will flourish and conquer. Is that okay to say tonight? I really feel like if we discover and fight with our strengths, we will flourish and conquer. If JL attempted to fight like a soldier on the battlefield, 
where she wasn't actually called to be, she would have entered into territory where she was untrained and unprepared, right? What if she assumed that she couldn't contribute because she thought a soldier on the battlefield was what victory was supposed to look like? Right? Because it seems that way, right? Because that's the typical victory delivering thing. If she had done that, there wouldn't have been a victory because her role was different to a soldier's role. What if she had tried to be like Deborah? You know, we're both girls here, you know. There wouldn't have been a victory. See, Deborah's, they both had a warrior anointing clearly, but it translated differently in different contexts. Okay, Deborah's role was to be the ultrasound technician. She got a glimpse of the promise and she announced it. <laughs> she prophesied it forth, okay? But, but the role of JL was to be the midwife. <laughs> she had to deliver the baby. She had to get her hands, you know, and, and deliver <laughs> the baby. Different roles. <laughs> And you need both of them, trust me. You need both of them, right? If she had tried to be like Deborah, it wouldn't have worked. There wouldn't have been a complete victory for Israel. She flourished, fought, and ultimately conquered where she was trained. And that was in her household. An ordinary housewife. Do you love this story? <laughs> it's ridiculous and I love it. An ordinary housewife became extraordinary in her own domain. She functioned in the territory she was given and there she secured the kingdom victory. I love this story. An everyday house, household wife with everyday household utensils defeated an entire nation of oppressors. Is anyone not sort of gobsmacked by this story? It's just so ridiculous and even more ridiculous, it's true. Like it's not a parable. It's actually true. It's history. Do you love the Bible? This is why I love the book of Judges. Seriously. Entertainment forever. Here's the thing. <laughs> if you pass the buck, you'll rob yourself. And more importantly, you'll rob other people of what God wants to do through you. Because that, if I was ever to... If you stopped listening, like, just listen to this part of the message, okay? Because if, if, if I want to say anything, I want to say this tonight. There is a U, not like the letter U, there is a U-shaped hole in planet Earth. It is so true, U-shaped hole. There is a coal-shaped hole. There is a jit-shaped hole in planet Earth with your unique giftings, your unique strengths, your unique history and past, your unique genetics and DNA. There is a hole in this planet that only you can fill. One of the most unique things about us, do you love that we, like there's no fingerprints like ours. Everyone has unique fingerprints. Do you love that? There is no fingerprints like Nikki Dent's, ever. It's what identifies me. There's no fingerprints like yours. And I love that one of the most unique things about us is on our hands. You know, biblically, hands are indicative and symbolic of servanthood. There is no one like you. I just want to encourage us tonight. I just really felt encouragement from the Holy Spirit. There is no one like you. Which means there is no calling like yours. Which means, because calling is always connected to purpose, and the purpose is always people. It means there is a purpose here on this planet that can only be fulfilled by you. If you don't fill it, there will be a hole. I can't fulfill your calling for you. i got to fulfill my calling. I can't do it for you. And, 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 and Neville 
or a preacher or a pastor or whatever we think it's supposed to look like, they can't feel your unique calling because there is nobody like you. There is no one with your genetics. There is no one else with your history and past and, and, and specific package of giftings, both natural and spiritual. There is nobody like you. There is nobody like you. With all your flaws and your failures woven into it, there is no one like you. And Romans 8.28 said, God works all things for the good of those who love Him, love Him, obey Him, and are called according to His purpose. He will use everything. You know, that's why we do things like, you know, 301 and 401, next steps. Half of us still don't know what that means, but (laughs) we do, you know, we put on these links group type things after church to help people discover what their strengths and giftings are. Not because we're like, oh, help me, we need help in this church. No, <laughs> it's because you, it's so you are equipped and empowered to be effective as a Christian because you won't, you won't be satisfied or fulfilled if you are not walking in the calling of God on your life. And like a treasure field, you need to discover what it is you are strong and gifted at. And He's gifted you. He's gifted you, and it is rude not to use a gift that someone has given you. Has anyone ever given a gift and it's been re-gifted? <laughs> I will admit I, I have re-gifted some, but I got some really bizarre wedding presents when we got married, so I did. <laughs> really interesting. Yeah, they were probably Paul's party friends from back in the day, but anyway, um, we won't go down that tangent. But anyway... <laughs> Or if you've given a gift to someone and then you come into their house a few months later and it's gathering dust in the garage or something and you're like, you are not using that fabulous gift I gave you. I purchased that for you. God has gifted you. It would be rude not to use the gifts He has given you. He has given them to you for a purpose. And that purpose is always people. It is always people. We've got to use our gifts, which means we need to discover them. Now listen to this next part because... Um, It's going to be highly significant for the rest of this message. JL recognized what she had, which is hilarious because what she had was milk, a blanket. It's like, what what was she thinking? She's just like, look around her tent, like, right, okay, I've got some milk, hammer, blanket, tent, peg. Like, I want to know what was in that milk for a start because. I don't fall asleep when I drink milk. <laughs> like, what? I'm, I'm just curious. The Bible doesn't say, so I'm not going to preach anything extra biblical tonight, but I'm just curious as to why he fell asleep as soon as she gave him the milk. As if milk could be a weapon, right? It's like, oh, I'm going to get you with some milk, you know. <laughs> but there's a spiritual principle here, and it's going to be woven throughout the entire book of Judges. Another... Um, Unique feature to the book of Judges is that through the whole book, God uses these obscure, unexpected items that are technically not weapons at all. He uses a donkey's jawbone and an ox goad and, and, and these vessels with light in them. It looks it's random stuff. But watch this. They become weapons in their hands. To the people who pick them up, they become weapons. If ever there was an underlying message in the book of Judges. It is this. God can use anyone and anything. Anyone. Have you read Samson's story? Anyone and anything. We laugh at him, but we can all relate to him. Okay, so God can use anything and anyone. And just to clarify, just so we're on the same page, the weapons JL used to slay an anonymous enemy that had been oppressing a nation for two decades were milk, Blanket, 
Hammer and tent peg. Not, not a gun, not a, <laughs> or something more relevant to her day, like a sword or a spear. No, milk in a blanket and a hammer and a tent peg. And they were everyday utensils for a tent dweller. Every tent dweller would have had a tent peg and a hammer and those things. They were just everyday utensils lying around in her house. Never underestimate what is in your hand and on your life. Never underestimate it because God has this habit of using obscure, unexpected people and things to win victory for his kingdom. A sling and a stone, really? A carpenter's son. You know, I've told this story before at a girls' night. Girls' night two years ago. Does anyone remember the cookbook and the snake story? No, that sounds extremely random. Perfect. No one, no one can remember it. Either you weren't listening again or you weren't there. So, <laughs> so last time I preached on JL about two years ago at one of our women's nights and um, I was preparing the message for JL. So I was literally, I was literally typing, this is no word of a lie. All of this is true. I haven't embellished it. I know I'm slightly dramatic, but I haven't embellished it. Okay, so I was typing about Genesis 3.15 and about, you know, like, you know, he will crash the serpent's head and all that. And Paul had gone out for the night. Babies are sleeping. I'm typing at the table. And I'm, I'm you know, I'm typing about Genesis 3.15, you know, the crashing of the serpent's head. And then this disgusting little black snake. I have never seen a snake in my house and haven't since this moment, by the way. But it starts like, and of course I see a snake when Paul's not there and can't deal with it for me. So annoying. And I'm trying to concentrate and do message prep. Can you get any more distracting? So this serpent starts slithering along my wall. Like I'm at the kitchen. How did it even get in? I don't even know. Anyway, so I literally, like I jumped up on the chair, like, okay, and start chanting myself, like, you are J.O. You are J.O. sort of thing. That was slightly embellished. But, (laughs) but you know. Anyway, so I grabbed the first thing that I could see because, you know, I'm not messing around. I've got sleeping babies or I'm not going to let this snake out of my sight, okay? And so I grabbed the first thing that was near me and that I thought would do the job, which happened to be a gigantic, um, well, I think it's gigantic cookbook, heavy cookbook that was on the kitchen buffet. And what's ironic about this story is that I don't use it for cooking. It is for aesthetic purposes in my home only. (laughs) 100% telling the truth. It's it's there to look pretty. It's to give an illusion of something that isn't actually true. And so, but there was my big heavy cookbook. And so, I'm sorry if someone in here gave that to me, by the way. (laughs) I should check these things before I tell these stories. But anyway, so I reached over, picked it up and launched it at the snake and pinned it against the wall. Okay. I feel so heroic when I tell this story. And so it pinned it against the wall and it starts, it's, oh, its tail was still wiggling, but it was trapped. And so, and then timely, Paul gets home. I can't remember how much longer after that because I don't think I wanted to go near it. And this is not a lie. We got a hammer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we got a hammer, took that thing outside and we crashed its head. And, and that was the day I fulfilled Genesis 3.15. And then I was like, Dang, I'm preaching on JL in two nights' time. I'm using this story. And so that was my opener for the message that night, um, was the story of the cookbook and the hammer. I almost forgot what the point of that story is, but I just remembered. (laughs) I get lost on my own tangents. You discover your weapon when you pick it up. (laughs) The victory is won and, and you will prevail, but the weapon has to be used, right? We've all been given gifts 
and, and weapons and the kingdom of God, but you have to move beyond intention and into implementation. Am I right? You have to go beyond seeing it and looking at it to seizing it and using it, or you will not be effective as a Christian. Does anyone want to be an effective Christian? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, we, we tend to wildly overestimate what we can do without God and wildly underestimate what we can do without Him. You know, maybe your tent peg, what's your tent peg? Just find something and pick it up and use it. Maybe your tent peg is a microphone. Maybe it's a guitar, chichong. <laughs> maybe it's a wooden spoon. Yeah, no, not in that way. You know what I was thinking? I was thinking about the ladies who cook us delicious soup and bread after the services. <laughs> now you're clapping. You're like, hallelujah. But seriously, okay, they don't have swords in that kitchen, but they have some pretty ominous wooden spoons because they're raising money to confront the enemy of human sex trafficking in the world. Come on, can we give those girls some appreciation? Suddenly, a simple everyday utensil became a weapon. I didn't even plan that. That worked really well. That worked really well. <laughs> we were gifted with gifts to give them back to God for the purposes of His kingdom. Have you ever wondered about the parable of the talents? What He has given you must be invested and used to bring multiplication for the kingdom of God. You are not to bury it or keep it to yourself out of fear. We've got to use what we've been given. And I wonder how many unexpected weapons and gifts are lying around this tent tonight, unutilized or lying dormant, because we simply haven't picked them up yet. I don't know why, maybe fear or not wanting to get uncomfortable. Maybe we haven't sensed the urgency of the battle because it hasn't personally affected us yet. Because when you... Become alert to the need of people. You just use what you got. When you become alert to the need. See, JL sensed the need. See, she was removed from the battle. She wasn't watching it specifically, but she began to feel the effects of it. And that is what compelled her to literally take matters into her own hands and just use what you've got. You know, when I ceased, like... Sometimes we want to close our eyes to the injustices on the planet because it's easier and more comfortable to do that. But when you are confronted with that, you just think, you look at what's happening in Syria or Africa, what, you know, what's happening where, in the villages where you are, Julie, and you go, you know what? It doesn't matter if I look stupid. I'm just going to use what I've got for the kingdom of God to see justice executed in this globe, right? To, see, to initiate and continue the campaign for salvation. Salvation is the solution. Salvation is the solution. You know, JL didn't waste time hunting around for a sword or a weapon that seemed adequate. She just, she had everything she needed. This is ridiculous. She had everything she needed to deliver victory right in her household, probably in her kitchen. Who he has created you to be and what he has given you. Listen, I have to repeat this, so important. Who he has created you to be and what he has given you listen to me, is more than enough. I said more than enough to accomplish what he wants to do through you. Who he's made you and what he's given you is more than enough to accomplish what he wants to do through you, through you. Not through me, through you. What you have, he's going to use. What you have, he's going to use. He's the God of compost. He uses everything. 
He just, even the stuff we don't want to keep, he just, new life grows from it. Do you know what I mean? You know, I believe right here in this house tonight, in this tent, we have everything we need to stake our claim, to claim our ground and the territory and the victory that is ours in Christ. Do you guys believe that tonight? We have everything we need. Lying in here tonight, we have everything we need. The Bible says we are conquerors in Christ. We are conquerors in Christ. But listen, we conquer in the craft of our calling. We conquer in the craft of our calling. JL didn't conquer as a soldier or a judge or a prophetess. She conquered as a housewife. Amen. Come on, housewives. Housewives of Billy Nigel. <laughs> Won't go there. Okay, so she took what she had. And she drove it through the enemy's temple. Now, watch what is happening here. I don't want you to miss it. In her own household and in her own place of training, she silenced and disempowered and defeated the enemy with what she had in her hand. Behind closed tent flaps where no one could see her, no one could acknowledge her or praise her in the presence of God alone. They sang her praises later in in a song in Judges chapter 5, it's a song, they sing her praises. But at the time when she was executing her calling, stepping into it and executing it, no one was there to praise her. Only God was watching when she did this. What a crazy woman. Romans 15 verse 1 says, strength is for service, not status. And in this moment, JL is fulfilling or pre-filling, I should say, Genesis 3.15. The f- God uses a woman, I hope you know, to frame the first threat to the devil in history. And this, of course, is the first ever prophecy, messianic prophecy about Jesus Christ who would be birthed through a woman, Mary. It is Genesis 3.15, And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Do you remember that? Jael pre-fulfills this, if you like. She crushes the enemy's head with what was in her hand. Jael wasn't an Israelite. And I tell you what, she was grafted in that day. She became one of them. They sang about her. They loved her after that day. And you know, this woman spoken of in Genesis 3.15 is mentioned again at the end of the book. Interesting, at the very beginning of the Bible, this woman birthing, you know, the Savior, the Redeemer, is mentioned again in Revelations 12 which speaks about the woman who gives birth to the child who will establish power and salvation in verse 10. Do you guys know what I'm talking about in Revelation? And and it talks about the dragon who rages against her. So clearly the serpent has grown a little bit. (laughs) Somebody fed that thing. Now, (laughs) what is happening in Revelation, this great conflict between the dragon and the woman, is the manifestation of an ancient conflict that began in Genesis 3.15. As soon as those words were out of God's mouth, the conflict began. And we read along in Revelations chapter 19 how the, how the dragon wages war against God's people on the plains called Armageddon. <laughs> I love how people look at the book of Revelation. They're like, oh, Armageddon, it's just a plain in northern Israel. <laughs> you know, everything in Revelation is anchored in in Old Testament history. So John writing it, this isn't part of my message, but just FYI, John, when he writes Revelation, he's assuming that you'll connect all the dots to Old Testament 
things. Even the numbers, it's not a code for the end of the world. Numbers were symbolic in Jewish scripture. Anyway, um, <laughs> we won't go down that path, Nikki. <laughs> but anyway, what was I talking about? Right, so Armageddon is where the devil, the dragon, wages war against God's people. And it's a certain plain in northern Israel. And guess what? Very same plain we're talking about tonight in Judges 4 and 5. The very same plain that we're talking about. Armageddon, what a fabulous name. Listen to this quote by Ed Silvoso. I love it. It says, while women walk upright, Satan must crawl, making his head vulnerable every time they set their feet down. He is the one who should be afraid, not the other way around. He writes that quote in direct response to Genesis 3.15. And it is true of the church of Jesus Christ. We are the woman, the bride of Christ. You make that connection? When we walk upright, obediently stepping into the calling of God on our lives, we must realize that we are driving a stake through the enemy's head. This is graphic story I know tonight. It's like so difficult to preach through judges. But anyway, you've got to know the enemy cowers every time that you realize and recognize that your gifts were not given to you to hide or keep to yourself, but every time you realize that your gifts were given to you to be used, and every time you make the choice to step into the calling of God on your life, you got to know the enemy cowers and knows he is vulnerable to his head being crushed. You know, the temple in this story is symbolic of, of strategies and mindsets and assignments of the enemy, which means this. When we complete our assignment... It crushes his. Do you realize that tonight? When we create, when we complete our assignment, it crushes his. The injustice, the impression of vulnerable people. You know, I believe in this story. The, the way it's bookended with two different women, it's very significant. And, and I believe the fact that it, go, like, it goes to the trouble of mentioning and making sure you know that Deborah is a prophetess, very significant. I believe Deborah in this story at the beginning is representing the Old Testament prophets, the Old Testament church, if you like. Their job was to be the spokesperson for God in their generation. They were the mouthpiece for God. They didn't have the Holy Spirit living in everyone, so God would speak through the prophets. And what their job was to do was to announce salvation to come. They would announce salvation to come and they would announce the promise to come. And, and this is what Deborah is doing. She is prophesying salvation to come. She is prophesying a future woman who would deliver the victory once and for all. When she prophesies about Jael, do you remember that at the beginning of the story? But Jael is at the end of this story who finishes the campaign for salvation. And sandwiched between the two is this valley. This is what I think. Deborah is the Old Testament prophet prophesying the salvation to come. And we are JL, the church, the latter-day church of Jesus Christ, at the other end of this story. And sandwiched between us is the cross of Jesus Christ, where, where he went into the valley of the shadow of death and won the battle. He won the victory, right? The campaign was initiated, but but we are here to finish it. Do you realize your calling, Church of Jesus Christ, is to finish the campaign for salvation? We are His JLs. We are here to finish the campaign for salvation in a wall that we not may not be able to see, for people we may never even meet. But this is what our calling is ultimately 
to finish the campaign for salvation. We are his JLs. And you know what? It doesn't matter what denomination you're from. It doesn't matter what tribe you're from, what church you're from, what country you're from, what ethnicity, culture. If you are for Jesus Christ, you are called according to this purpose. Salvation for all. Amen to that? Matthew 12, 30, this is an uncomfortable scripture. Jesus Christ is speaking and he says, this is war and there is no neutral ground. If you're not on my side, you're the enemy. If you're not helping, you're making things worse. That's an uncom- that makes us uncomfortable, right? I, I think Jesus makes radical statements to make us, to shake us out of our comfort and, and, and alert us to the gravity and urgency of our time. You know, and do not, I hope you don't misinterpret me tonight. This is not about works or striving or performance. Uh-uh. This is about stewarding the calling and gifts within. This is about stewarding the gifts within and waking up to the calling of God on our lives so we can be a part of the solution. No neutral ground. Let's be a part of the solution for salvation. You know, how many times do we have to hear the quote, all that is necessary for the triumph of evil is for good people to do nothing. The reason we are called is not to look good, it's to do good. The reason we are called is not to look good or righteous, it is to secure the good that was won by Christ when he went to the battlefield. When he went, he is the greater Barak, if you like. The victory is been won, has been won, but it's not to be claimed passively. Does that make sense? We've got to take active steps into our calling because our calling is not about us. It's about others. You know, we've got to claim the territory, claim what has been won for us, but, you know, receive. You know, in Hebrew, what's really interesting, the word nail and peg use the same word. And I just, I wonder whether JL's tent peg was nine inches. I don't know. I just wonder. Isaiah 22 verse 23 says, speaking of Jesus, the Christ who was to come, I will drive him like a peg into a firm place. He will become a seat of honour for the house of his father. In the valley of the shadow of death, on the cross of Jesus Christ, when the nails were driven through his hands, he silenced and disarmed and disempowered and defeated the enemy. He defeated the enemy. When the peg, when the tent peg was driven through the hands of our servant king, Interesting. They drove it through his hand. Indicative of serving our servant king. Christ surrendered his hands that we would use ours. That we would use ours. You know, if ever... 1 Corinthians 15 verse 45 talks about the last Adam. Do you remember that? 
the last Adam, there was a, it says, it has this whole, you know, speech. It says how the first Adam sinned, but Jesus is the last Adam who set everything right through the cross. And I just, if there was a first Eve, I wonder who is the last Eve? Who is the last Eve? It's the greater JL. It is the church of Jesus Christ. It is you and I, friends. Today, we are the last Eve. We are here to finish the campaign for salvation. Does anyone in here feel insignificant tonight? Because I can promise you that you're not and that your life matters and what you are gifted at and what you do, it matters and it is significant and no one can do what God wants to do through you. We are the last Eve. And when you step into what you are called to do and don't remain passive, we are destructive to the kingdom of darkness. You can be destructive with a wooden spoon. You know, I really believe God is releasing divine strategies to, to us, to our households, to our families, to our communities, to our churches. But He's looking for a generation and a people who will surrender their hands to serve the calling. Jesus surrendered His precious hands that we would pick, pick it up with ours. Is that making sense tonight? The nails were driven through his handprints, his fingerprints, right, right between the bones. They purposely didn't drive it through his bones so that he would be suffocated properly. He surrendered his precious, beautiful, our Savior's hands that you would use yours to pick up the nail. You don't have to have the nail driven through your hands. All you've got to do is pick it up and use it for the calling of God. We are the prophesied woman. Sorry, boys, you are the prophesied woman. <laughs> we are the bride of Christ. We are the woman at the end of this story. We are the most blessed tent dweller. Come on, that is our, that is our declaration. That is our prophetic destiny. We are, come on, church, let's get excited about the gospel tonight. We are the most blessed tent dweller, and we are here on this planet Earth for but a vapor. We dwell in these tents for but a vapor, but we're going to make every second count. Amen. Why don't you stand tonight? I want to pray for you.